Welcome to the Awesomers.com podcast. If you love to learn, and if you're motivated to expand your mind, and heck, if you desire to break through those traditional paradigms and find your own version of success, you are in the right place. Awesomers around the world are on a journey to improve their lives and the lives of those around them. We believe in paying it forward, and we fundamentally try to live up to the great Zig Ziglar quote, where he said, you can have everything in your life you want if you help enough other people get what they want. It doesn't matter where you came from, it only matters where you're going. My name is Steve Simonson, and I hope you will join me on this awesomer journey. If you're launching a new product manufactured in China, you will need professional, high-resolution, Amazon-ready photographs. Because Simo Global has a team of professionals in China, you will oftentimes receive your listings photographs before your product even leaves the country. This streamlined process will save you the time, money, and energy needed to concentrate on marketing and other creative content strategies before your item is in stock and ready for sale. Visit simoglobal.com to learn more, because a picture should be worth 1,000 keywords. You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast. This is the Awesomers.com podcast number 12. You can find all the show notes at awesomers.com slash 12. Now today, my very special guest is Liz Herrera. And in 1999, at just 22 years old, Liz ignored kind of the well-trodden path of traditional systems and and business, and she instead created and opened her very first e-commerce store. And within 12 months, she made her very first million dollars in profit. That's right, not just sales. This is indeed a phenomenal feat for a young minority woman with no business pedigree, nor virtually any experience at that age. I mean, who among us had experience at 22? However, achievements like this are not atypical for the extraordinary Liz Herrera. Now, despite frequent discouragement from friends and family who do not did not necessarily believe in the industries Liz was exploring, she didn't stray from that core journey to become a, an entrepreneur. In fact, she's always been comfortable showing the world exactly who she is without regard for others' opinions about her decisions. And that's an awesome mentality for sure. Now, because Liz has always acted in the direction her heart insists, Liz has made her millions many times over in all kinds of different industries. Liz Herrera is an internet entrepreneur, a former top 20 online poker earner in the world's top 20, by the way, and her forte is recognizing opportunity in online marketplaces and quickly seizing upon it. After unexpectedly losing her many millions in poker due to the bankruptcy of the online poker sites back in April 15th of 2011, also known as Black Friday for Liz, she began on Amazon liquidating products out of her own house. By the end of 2011, Liz began generating substantial income by taking advantage of the Amazon FBA seller platform. She continues to grow and scale her physical products businesses uh, into seven-figure per-month revenue-generating businesses. That's per month, everybody. In fact, her brands and companies continue to be more successful than ever right now. Liz is also known for her sharing and pay-it-forward philosophy in life. That's something I've sure appreciate about her. Taking on apprenticeships, mentoring hundreds of people, Liz spreads her wealth of knowledge to all who are willing to learn. Liz has been a featured speaker at many big events like Mass Conversion, Ten Pillars of Wealth, the Amazon Millionaire Summit, Private Label Movement Summit, and many, many more. Liz is known to have an exclusive inner circle of expert internet marketeers and entrepreneurs who invest a collective eight figures per year into research and development. That's eight figures into R&D, everybody. So it's a great pleasure to have Liz Herrera on the awesomers.com podcast.
Welcome back, Awesomers. Here we are again, Steve Simpson, coming out to uh, another podcast for you. And I've got a special guest today, Liz Herrera. Welcome, Liz. How are you? I'm great, Steve. How about you? Well, you know, I get along. I get by. Uh, no, I'm always great. Uh, happy to be alive and uh, thrilled to have you on the show today. And I uh, can't wait to share your story with uh, some of our listeners who uh, have already heard some great stories, but yours will stack in the top 10 for sure. It'll be awesome. Well, thank, thank you for that, Steve. I'm, I'm actually pretty excited about it. Anytime I get to hang out, I like to always refer to you, see whenever I feel like something bad happened to me in business, I think about all the stories you told me and then I feel suddenly so much yeah. better about myself. <laughs> yeah, that's right. If, if anybody has a, a story about loss and uh, failure, I can one-up them. Yeah, that's my mission. <laughs> yeah, I love it. That's one of the reasons why I was so uh, inspired to get on your show here and, and be part of it because as I said before, Every time I think I paid too much for something or I feel like a knife stabbing me in the chest, I think about one of the stories you told me and suddenly, instantly, I make yes, myself. Yes, I've had whole sets of Ginsu knives planted at one time. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> I'm always here to make you feel better. Well, that's great. I'm appreciating having you on the show and maybe just uh, catch up with the listeners. Uh, where do you live now and what do you do kind of in general terms? We've already given the little introduction, but you know, give us a general outline. Sure. I I live in Miami, Florida right now, so I love beautiful Miami. It's so nice and warm. But I'm actually originally from Texas, where I started somewhere around 1999 selling Pokemon cards, of all things. And I kind of got in my first big trend by selling Pokemon, number one, on the streets. And then eventually I took it online. So I actually used that junky thing they call a college degree to program my very first website. It was done in all HTML. I didn't have a clue what I was doing at first, but I put it up there. And I learned Google advertising at the time. So that was the very first thing I learned was Google advertising. And as you know, back in those days, like 2000, 2001, Google barely even came out. So it was kind of almost like anyone could make money using Google ads. So I started run Google ads to a website and just hit it, hit it really hard. Got very lucky because I really didn't know what I was doing at first, but I clearly could tell that I had some sort of knack for marketing. I was already using live chat. I was already giving a free handout, a free lead magnet without actually even knowing what all that meant. I just gave it out and I kind of just got, I was in the right place at the right time. Sort of what we're experiencing with Amazon right now. If you're at the right place at the right time, sometimes you will get lucky if you're out there and you're just actually implementing things and trying them out. So that was my first foray into e-commerce was early 1999 or 2000. And since then I've done a lot of things in between, but at some point, which is now I found my way back into e-commerce, back in now into Amazon. And I also do some things with Shopify and drop shipping. And really I'm a true entrepreneur. You know, I think we all have some sort of shiny object syndrome, but it really boils down to being able to systemize all those things and then take action and not really have to be the one taking the action. Yeah, boy, I tell you, that is uh, always the solid takeaway. No matter where the journey is, if you don't start to build it for a team, then you are going to be uh, doing a lot of work yourself. And uh, ultimately, for me, not sustainable because I don't like to do all the uh, <laughs> little pieces of the puzzle. <laughs> um, I appreciate that update. That's wonderful. And we're going to dive into that uh, the present day a little bit more. But uh, first, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, where you began, but we're going to do that right after this break. So we'll be right back. Catalyst 88 was developed to help entrepreneurs achieve their short and long-term goals in e-commerce markets by utilizing the power of shared entrepreneurial wisdom. Entrepreneurship is nothing if not lessons to be learned. 
Learn from others. Learn from us. I guarantee that we will learn from you. Visit Catalyst88.com because your success is our success. A giddy up. You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast. All right, we're back uh, again. Uh, Liz Herrera joining us today, and we're talking about kind of her origin story. Where did she begin and uh, kind of uh, get started? And so, Liz, I always like to start with where were you born? I'm actually born born in El Paso, Texas, so it's kind of a city right along the border, and it's not the most safest place to be born with, especially when you have a sister city called Juarez, Mexico, Steve, which is, as we know, one of the drug laundering or drug cartel capitals of the world. All, all sorts of deaths and crazy things happen in Juarez. But, you know, when I was born, it was safe to just be able to cross over into the border. And so we literally would walk across and go into the border. There's a lot of cheaper commodities over there, and we would do a lot of grocery shopping there. We would do a lot of eating. So, of course, I love tacos. Tacos mm-hmm. is one of my Who favorites. Doesn't? Yeah, that's hard to argue with, yeah. It's its own food group, Steve. A lot of people don't realize that, but it is its own food group. And so it was really difficult thing growing up in that kind of environment, primarily because I'm the product of two blue-collar workers. My dad worked at UPS. My mom worked in retail her whole life. And me wanting to be an entrepreneur, I would always walk around at the wrong places. And I grew up in the worst part of El Paso. It was called Segundo Vario, which basically means the first. It's like the ghetto, right? It's like the worst possible place, right along the border. And I would picture a kid walking around the neighborhood and people ask me, what do you want to do with your life? And I tell them that I want to be an entrepreneur and I want to make millions of dollars and drive Lamborghini. And they're all basically like, picture some cholos, Steve. Picture the, the like grungiest possible Mexican movie you could think of. All right. And with Mexican gangsters and everything. That's the kind of neighborhood I would walk around. So these guys would constantly laugh at me, make fun of me do things like that. But I really didn't give a crap what they said to me because I kind of already had it in my mind that I was put on this earth for a reason and I could pretty much try out and do whatever I want. That was part of being an American, right? It was part of being excited about being born into such a wonderful country that we're born into. Yeah, it is a lucky break. Uh, Of course, me being a sheltered person as I am, the the closest uh, uh, hardcore Cholo movie I could come up with was Up in Smoke. I hope that's on point. (laughs) Well, that that's close enough, you know, because Cheech Marin does a really good impression of a Mexican gangster. You know, he 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 is Mexican, but I can just see him with his hood and his pants pulled up really high, and that's the kind of environment that I was basically walking around in. You know, a bunch of guys smoking weed and, and doing stuff like that, and sitting out there in their bikes. But I came to the realization: should I really take advice from these cholos who are just standing around all day playing basketball or riding their bikes? Are these really the guys that I want to think about giving a crap what they have to say about me and my life? And the clear answer was like, no, why would I care what this guy's telling me that I can and cannot do? Makes no sense. You know, kind of like paying attention to your couch potato relative who tells you that your form is wrong when you're doing some weightlifting. Why would I listen to him? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that very good point. Yeah, it's uh, you must consider the source of your information. It is striking that uh, even at a young age, you were able to kind of see kind of through that. Uh, you you mentioned your parents from a blue collar background. Uh, wow, what did your dad do again? My dad still to this day works for UPS. So he's been working for UPS for over thirty years. He's been a blue collar. He and interestingly enough, my dad has an MBA. So he's got a master's in business finance, but he still makes more money working at UPS. So he's never actually left that job. 
uh, some of those jobs, especially when you have the, the nice tenure that he must have at this stage, uh, that, that can add up uh, very nicely. And how about your mom? What, what kind of work did she do? My mom did a lot of retail work. So she went from retail store to retail store. She usually managed retail stores. So that was kind of like my first glimpse into what takes to operate and manage a day-to-day -day retail operation. And I knew that selling things was the best ticket. So that was kind of like the first inclination. I knew I wanted to sell something. Did, uh, did your parents kind of realize you had this entrepreneurial bend early on? I think they realized this, Stephen. I don't think I've actually ever told you this story, but it was probably when I was 10 years old and there was a knock on my door. And uh, my mom opened the door and it was two men in suits that needed to speak to somebody. And what, what ended up happening, and I, I kind of actually don't remember the story. Mama had to retell me the story because I was about nine at the time. What ended up happening is I had to do a uh, report on countries that I would like to visit and reasons why I'd like to visit them. So I, I got some ideas that China was an up and coming place for like manufacturing and it was during the Cold War. And so I started to write to China, Steve. Wow. And uh, what ended up happening is the FBI showed up at my front door because there was concerns about the number of times that I'd written to China. But the reason for that was they were just being very responsive. Every, t every time I wrote them, they would respond and they were actually sending me paraphernalia about things that are going on, like trade that's going on in China. They sent me some items. They were sending me all sorts of things. This was like straight from the Chinese government. So wow. they were even then the ones that were like hustlers, they were out there corresponding. It wasn't Alibaba at the time. It was um, mail. It was mail. So a lot of waiting time in between. But once the FBI found out why all the writing had happened in China, I, my parents weren't that happy with me. So they took away my computer because I was typing to China. And so they took away the computer, which at the time was, I think, a Coleco or an Atom. It was something so prehistoric. I can't even imagine it. Oh, yeah. The good times. Uh, yeah, <laughs> The 8-bit uh, memories are always a good one. So that it's an amazing story that you had the foresight to talk to China. You're trying to uh, get some kind of trade deal going at 9 or 10. And then the FBI, apparently seeing the, the shipments or the mail that was happening, decided to come and uh, see what this 9 or 10-year-old is up to. Amazing. Yeah, well, they had no idea it was a nine or 10 year old. They were actually there trying to see if it was my parents or somebody in the family that was doing it. And when my mom called me from my room to come back over and she asked me, have you been writing to China? And I was like, yes. And then they're like, well, why have you been writing to China? And I was, I was actually just writing to China because of that reason. I was trying to find out what was going on in China. That's where I had read in the library that things were shifted and going towards. So it was just like my idea, well, let me try and figure out how I can connect with these people. And surprisingly, they were super responsive because I wrote to a couple other countries, but no response. Um, and it was partly for the report, partly for the interest, because I was also writing to Australia. And I think Australia or another country, they responded. But it was two countries, China being the most responsive that I continued to correspond with. And that gave some sort of like red alert. Wow, that's amazing. And, but so it sounds like your parents uh, uh, went from uh, mildly unamused to uh, no computer for you. Yeah, so that was pretty much the start of I had to figure out another obsession in the meantime. <laughs> and uh, for me, that would have been I got into some sports, but I kind of got sidelined for a little bit. But at some point, it just came back. It couldn't couldn't take the entrepreneur out of me. Yeah, it's hard to beat that out of uh, the wiring, I, I have to say. So uh, Ed, so did you go to university after uh, your fun little FBI experience? <laughs> yeah, I actually got a scholarship to play basketball. So I played basketball at uh, UTEP, which is uh, 
first university, we won a national championship. The men's basketball team did under Don Haskins. He was a legend in the city of El Paso. And I, I played, so I, I knew Don, he was a friend of mine. And uh, may he rest in peace now, but it was a, a pretty good division one university and I got a scholarship to play there. So it was pretty good, but I quickly realized, even though I was pretty good at basketball, that I wasn't going to make the kind of money that I envisioned making. And so after a year, I quit the team and I decided to pursue being an entrepreneur. But my parents made me agree to still get that college degree because they wanted me to have something to fall back on. Yeah, yeah. We all we have all heard the fallback speech at one time or another. Uh, but you did actually reference your degree now that I recall uh, saying that you used the kind of the HTML knowledge or some of that knowledge to to uh, put your first site together for the Pokemon, Pokemons. Yes. <laughs> My yeah, daughter hates I, it when I say Pokemon. I do it on purpose. <laughs> but uh, yeah. I actually went to college like, uh, Tom, I'm not sure if you've seen the movie Tommy Boy, but in the movie, uh, Tommy Boy tells his dad, lots of people go to college for seven years. And the response from his dad or, or the guy, David Spade, is, yeah, they're called doctors. doctors. <laughs> so I was on the seven-year doctorate plan at the University of Texas, El Paso, and that's basically what I finished off with and I got a degree in computer science so that's how I was able to code my very first website which is the only computer language I learned other than ones that are dead now like basic and uh, C plus and C sharp or whatever it was at the time but HTML it still kind of works even though you got a lot of great editors boy yeah it's uh back in those days everybody listening uh, it was difficult to get things to line up on the the page uh, let alone you know the the idea of inserting videos or complex uh, layers or whatever that they we can do today so very different time that's for sure so uh, so tell me about so after university did you have kind of a what i call a proper job but you know a, a 9 to 5 kind of thing or something traditional or did you go right into uh, leveraging your pokemon uh, idea Pokemon. No, I actually was, while I was in college and going through college, you know, there was certain things that I was still like doing on the side. So I had a couple like small part-time jobs, but nothing lasted longer than a couple months. Um, among one of them was, was I was a blackjack dealer for a short little stint. And that kind of gave me the idea for starting to play some poker. And uh, I'm trying to think what else I, I had also had, had a small stint at Capital One. And it was interesting because it was that that time that I was like, you know what, why am I doing this? Let me just take a, a shot and just start my own thing. And when I went to actually tell my manager that I was going to quit, which I had hardly been there for that long, but I'd always wanted to perform as best I could. So I was one of their best salespeople on the phone. He said to me, why would you want to do that? This is a fantastic company with amazing benefits. Why would you want to leave this company? And I said, hey, how do you know that I can't start my own capital one? Yeah, and he kind of giggled about it. He laughed about it. And uh, years later, I still had friends that worked there. They let off everybody at that center. So it was like clearly the right decision. It was just a fear factor thing at the time where I was gotten used to making a little bit of money and was kind of afraid because I was still doing my sites. I was building sites, learning how to build sites, getting them up and running. But I didn't want to let go of having that guaranteed income on a week to week basis. Yeah, I think we've all uh, had the, uh, I don't know, the alternative view to go, all right, well, I could, uh, you know, kind of keep uh, plugging the meter using this uh, income source or what have you, and everybody uh, finds their own path. But at some point, the the balance tips in a certain direction, and uh, it sounds like it, it, it tipped for you. So uh, was, was there a defining moment that you point to and go, all right, well, this is really when 
things took off for me or when I, I the you know the gas pedal was finally pressed down. Anything you can recall? You know, I think it was just basically the, the, finally I had to leave the job and I was super young, didn't really have anything in reserve, you know, didn't plan about anything like that. So that's what, that's what was so scary is people often say, have, have this many reserves. That way you could be comfortable until you start making some money. And I think I just said, screw it. I don't, I'm not going to go with any reserves. I'm not going to go with anything. Let's just see what happens. And so I think at that point, it kind of lit a fire under my ass where it's like, I realized I, now I've really got to do it because I've got, at that time I had had some debts that I had to pay. I had some credit cards that I had from college where I had to like, I lost that scholarship. So I had to pay books and things like that. And so I was basically put at a point where I had to make money. I had no choice or else I wasn't going to be able to meet up to those obligations. So I think that was the defining moment where I realized like when you're an entrepreneur, you cannot rely on anything other than yourself. Yeah, it's a it's like a high wire artist without a net, right? You it's you got nowhere to fall, so just deal with it. Yep. Yeah, I like that. That's very good. And so, how about you know, we're going to come to your present day here uh, soon enough. But as you've you know, you've gone on uh, over time, obviously from the Pokemon times and the Coleco <laughs> computer times uh, up until now. Is there is there a big lesson that you've uh, kind of formulated in your mind that uh, that you, you know, it's something that you like to share with people, or at least you recall for yourself for its own benefit. That's a, that's a tough question to answer, but I'm going to say that big lesson is that just like life in general is, is one big lesson and you have to take little bits from it and kind of create your own. It's almost like you have to see the clues that it gives you in one thing. So for example, you might get into selling Pokemon, right? And what I learned from selling Pokemon so I like to tell people my, my version of accounting was I, I can clearly see like a little gif with the baby where he's like F accounting. <laughs> I had no idea what accounting was, but at some point I didn't understand budgets and things like that. And I screwed it up and that business ended up being with a bad business partner. So there were certain lessons that I took from that, that now I could move forward and use into my current business. So even though it would seem like to someone that it was a huge failure because it didn't work out and I, at the end of the day, all I got was a paycheck from it. It wasn't like I could sell that business. It kind of, all the lessons that I learned went into my next website where now I knew how to run some ads. I'd made mistakes in that business, but now I could take the lessons from running those ads and put them in my new business. So even to this day, Steve, I think the big thing is that even to this day, I still make a ton of mistakes day in and day out. Now it's the way that I react to those mistakes that will define me as an entrepreneur and as a person, because I can either choose to correct them and move forward or whine about them and keep thinking about them to the point where it bothers me. Boy, so many good things in there. Uh, first of all is the recognition that, you know, uh, the choice of how we deal with uh, adversity or challenges is completely our own. And that's, uh, you know, uh, as I like to use the nomenclature, you know, the awesomers, we're going to go ahead and figure out the lessons that need to be learned. We're going to fail fast. However you want to think of it. It doesn't matter if they're challenges, opportunities, uh, failures. But as long as we're learning, that's equity. And I, I talk a lot about this concept of, uh, you know, if you're building something, build it equity. And there's tangible equity. This is like I can go sell a business and it's worth something tangibly. Or there's intangible equity, which often includes that intellectual equity. And every lesson that we learn, especially the, the parts that don't go well is massive equity. And, and it's really a, a great thing to see you uh, still leaning into that. There are, there are many, many failures I've had in my time. 
and those lessons, as long as they pay dividends of uh, not making the same mistake multiple times, they're highly worth it, I think. Right, absolutely. So that's my big tip is, I mean, you've probably heard this time and time again, but I'll say it from experience, like try not to make the same mistake twice and you'll learn it'll pay dividends, as you said, in the long run. Yeah, for sure. Very good advice. How about, um, you know, I know that you're a super optimistic person and that, you know, you're always upbeat and even have, you know, nicknames that uh, conjure up, uh, you know, um, acts of God, uh, hurricane, for example. <laughs> uh, and so I know that you, you have a very positive outlook, but was there ever a time where you kind of looked and go, gosh, this is too much for me, or I want to give up, or just where you were down and, and just like, I don't know if I have the fight left in me. You ever face that? Um, you know, I don't think I really have. I think uh, being an entrepreneur, a lot of us are faced with that every day in the terms of like, I got too much on my plate right now. It feels like I get stuff done, but never enough. So I think it's a feeling that everybody naturally has in general, particularly being an entrepreneur. But um, I've never been to that point where I'm like, I'm just going to give up because I cannot see. There's no logic in me that shows that working for somebody else is the right thing because now you're relying upon somebody else making it all work out for you and that's cannot be good it, take capital one for instance if i had stayed there relied on capital one in two years i would be sol and out of a job so i have really never relied on anyone except for myself and i understand that at times it's coming to that understanding knowing that at times i will be overwhelmed at times i will be in over my head or what it feels like being in over my head. But at the end of the day, the number one thing that I'm grateful is, is I'm grateful to be alive. So I'll always twist things around like that and say, well, we like, we talked at that event we were at and I was like, I, I spent half a million trying to find a sourcing, the right sourcing agent. I'm like, shit, I can't believe I spent that much money. I must be a total freaking idiot. And then I spoke to you and okay. you said, oh, well, how about the time I lost $2 million? And I was like, that instant, I felt so much better because I was like, I must be doing something right. <laughs> because if it happened to Steve, and then there was those other guys that had also spent a million dollars trying to find the right sourcing agent. And so I was like, if they're doing the same thing that I'm doing, I must be doing something right. So I'm going to keep going. But through that time, I could have been there and I could have been extremely upset and pessimistic about life and like, oh, my life sucks, this sucks, and that sucks, particularly when we're in a social media type of world where we see everybody posting all the fantastic things happening to them on social media. You know, that's all unbelievably, for the most part, like the, the image craft, you know what I mean? Yes. So it sometimes can make you feel like shit about your life, but at the end of the day, you should just be grateful for the fact that you get to breathe and take another breath and you're healthy and you're good and you've got very, very comfortable life if you're of a smart entrepreneur, which I'm sure most of the people listening to this are smart entrepreneurs. Well, that's, uh, you know, the, the path of, uh, you know, getting the, together the freedom or the options. And really that's what it's about. Uh, awesomers are always on that path. And, you know, I think that that uh, so-called attitude of gratitude is a great uh, place to begin. Uh, there's a lot of guys who fall into that Facebook culture that uh, I have to refer, you know, um, back to, uh, uh, JLD or John Lee Dumas uh, talking about, he calls it compare and despair, right? And that's what normies do. Normies want to, you know, that guy got to go on this trip or that guy got to do this or this gal, she accomplished this, whatever. And of course, everybody, as you said, is just putting the positive things that are happening on Facebook. They didn't say, oh, today I got pulled over for a speeding ticket or today, you know, uh, I was late on the mortgage or today, you know, I got this uh, lawsuit filed against me. 
all these lightning bolts are still going to happen. And uh, so it's better to compare and prepare uh, from my standpoint. You know, it's like if you like to see, uh, you don't feel jealous of the person traveling to Tahiti, go, hey, I do like the idea of Tahiti. Let's uh, figure out how I can go to Tahiti. And I think most of the people who really decide to take control of their lives will have no problem figuring out how to engineer that outcome. And that's what you've done low these many years is you just figure out what you want and then you engineer a way to get there. Is that fair to say? Right. Yeah, absolutely. I, I kind of try not to look at what anybody else is doing. It, it's kind of like, um, as you know, when Amazon first started, it was lots of people posting screenshots of how much money they were making, how much money they were bringing in. And that obviously brought an influx of people into there. But once you get in there, you realize there's a lot of other little nuances that you have to deal with. And while it seems like all fantastic and glamorous at first, at the end of the day, it's still going to be work. Work is work, and you're still going to have to do things in order to make them happen. But I, I can even remember going back to my poker career as part of, of, of my life that I didn't mention. I would, I was all often at, at first, I, I kind of started to see this, these image craft things because people would post like days where they'd make a hundred thousand or twenty five thousand, and what I quickly noticed is nobody ever posts when they get their ass kicked. <laughs> you know, it's it's something that is common. It happens probably fifty or forty seven percent of the time. If you're a winning poker player, you get your ass kicked. However, they're not posting that forty seven percent of the time, and it's similar thing in life. It's just a, a something that you have to get accustomed to. And I like to just block it out, block out what's happening in the, the with the rest of the world and try to do the best that I can potentially do. And I just kind of look at my results and try to improve on those results, whether that is on a daily, weekly, or monthly basis. Now, that's a really good advice. You know, achievement is measured against your own benchmarks. Uh, competition is where you're looking at the external world. And it's, it's great to beat a competitor. But uh, when you have friends that, you know, you're comparing yourself to or this or that, it's, it's, a, it's just not a, a winning formula, in my opinion. Uh, let's talk about the, the poker career, if you don't mind a little bit, because I found it very fascinating uh, when we last uh, discussed this. Uh, first of all, how did you get into the poker arena? Because I think that's interesting on its own, right? Yeah, the, I'm not sure if I've ever told you the story, but the crazy thing is I had a, a site called simsbanker.com. People can look it up on the Wayback Machine. That was a, a million-dollar site where I would sell virtual currency at the time for Sims Online, World of Warcraft, all sorts of games that Again, I wrote a computer program with my degree, so I actually did kind of use my degree a little bit. And I had like 20 computers in my house running this program. And so um, when, I, when I did that, a guy happened to pay me in Poker Stars money. And it was a $50 order. He paid me $50 in Poker Stars money. And so I had $50. So I said to myself, huh, let me just try it out and see what happens. So I took that 50, I lost everything but $11. And I started to look at some training. I joined a tournament for $11 and I won the tournament. So I won $50 again. So now I had $50 to start with. And so I took that $50 and I ran it up to millions of dollars and I never had to deposit again ever. So it was both the combination of, it actually it was mostly skill. <laughs> what, yeah, am I, what am I joking? I, I became absolute skill. I came obsessed with it. The first part would have been like luck, but as soon as I started to play, I kind of realized the potential. So I started to just become obsessed with poker and I would read everything I could and consume everything that I could. And uh, pretty soon before I knew it, I think in 2009, I was one of the top 10 online poker earners in the world. And I was actually the only female in that list. So that was pretty. Yeah, not surprising to, uh, that you'd be at the top of uh, you know of these types of lists, and you know people don't realize, but 
you know, this is not a, uh, a rounding, you know, oh, you know, it's millions of fun or million, no, millions of dollars. And, uh, and uh, you know, it got really, really big at a time. And uh, then a little lightning bolt showed up. Yeah, well, uh, are you referring to Amazon as a lightning bolt? or well, just Lightning the- bolts are usually bad. Uh, oh, uh, okay, that part. Yeah, well, unfortunately, the DOJ shut down all the poker sites on, it's called Black Friday. And uh, since I was playing such high stakes, I had to have a high amount of money on those sites. So they shut them down. A couple of them declared bankruptcy. I lost a lot of money to a couple of sites that declared bankruptcy. A couple of them held it. I think uh, about three or four months ago, I got a uh, check from Full Tilt, which was a total surprise. I was, it wasn't Full Tilt. I think it was Ultimate Bet or Absolute. I think Full, Full Tilt I'd gotten a year before that. So it was not having this money for years and years. I, I, at the time, I was living in a 5,500 square foot mansion and basically I lose my job with yeah, uh, right. cars, a house, everything. I was living a crazy life and uh, I had to corporate lease that and eventually sell it. And I, I, I still had, I had condos and apartments and all sorts of things that I had to get rid of because I was in a cash crunch and it was a, a, ter- a terrible time, but it taught me a lot of lessons. And, you know, I, I kind of looked at it it was kind of another one of those light under my fire situations because for the previous couple months, I'd been planning my exit because I knew that I was not happy with the roller coaster. There were days where I won $100,000 and days where I lost 100000 And so it was a crazy ride, but I had never had a losing month ever, but it was very stressful. Wow. So this about 11 to 12 years of never having a single losing month is pretty amazing in itself. But uh, I knew there was time to pick another career. So I went back to my roots in e-commerce and it just stumbled upon luck that my mom was trying to start selling on Amazon. So I started to help her and that's kind of how I got re-involved in e-commerce. Amazing. Uh, yeah, that, that is very interesting. You know, the, the, uh, the, the time, you know, changes a lot of things. You know, at one time, the, the online poker was uh, a magnificent business and huge, huge business. And then... Um, you know, for whatever reasons, you know, everybody can argue about the different reasons, but mostly uh, the onshore guys didn't want people betting offshore. And so that's when the government steps in. Uh, and uh, it's it's one of those unplanned things that causes big, big problems for the people involved. So I'm, it, it's such a, such an amazing accomplishment that you have. So nobody, if anybody tries to play poker against Liz, they will lose. <laughs> I mean, it's just no way... <laughs> It's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a game of skill. So it might take a while before they lose, but, um, I, 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 my story was featured in a book, which is actually a really good poker book. It's called the mental game of poker. It's really good for the mindset. Um, that was my sports psychologist for, we worked together for six years. So now we've been friends for over 10 years. And he's really the guy that after I began working with him, connecting what he and I worked with into the business world, just made things click and instantly, now, I basically, people always think I run with a horseshoe up my ass. I'll say, like, how do you get so lucky at that? Well, again, it's going back to this collection of life lessons that I've managed to mold together, a lot of them being from him, that now I take forward and put in every career I actually get into. So whether it's Amazon or drop shipping with Shopify or anything like that, I, I know I could make it work just because of all those like life lessons and his advice. Yeah, that's uh, such a good perspective. I, I, we will put that book in the show notes uh, because uh, that's certainly going to be on my reading list. Uh, 
there's so much concentration that comes in with that poker and no doubt that is that intellectual equity we talked about earlier, right? You get to take all that equity with you no matter uh, what happens in the meantime. Uh, how about a best day? Have you ever looked back at your professional life and done a victory lap on a particular day or uh, a particular event that uh, you care to share? You know, I've, I've got a lot of events that have happened that have been like really great. Like I just got cast in the Think and Grow Rich 2 movie. So that was like, I was more excited about getting an IM. DB credit. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Get into the yeah. guilds. Now you can get uh, in the union, the whole thing. All right. <laughs> That's what I was more excited about than anything. And so I think I've got a lot of those, but honestly, it's going back to being grateful and just being a happy person every day, every day that I'm alive and I feel well and my family's good. And I, I feel like just grateful. And I feel like it's a victory every single day that I get to live on this earth. So I think when you approach things from that perspective, you're just going to be a genuinely happy person. Yeah, I like that a lot. Every day can be a best day, that's for sure. Um, how about uh, before we cut kind of to the uh, your vision of the future and kind of where things are going, either for yourself or for your businesses and so on, uh, how about a, a tool, just kind of a, a tactic or tool, app, something that you use day-to-day that you find to be invaluable to your uh, your goings-on? Does anything jump to mind? Wow, I, I don't know. You, know, I, I got to be honest – I, I'm more like I'm about like one of the things when I, the last time I spoke at the uh, amazing event, uh, somebody asked me, give, give me what your morning routine is. And uh, everybody was answering like, oh, I look at stats, I check stats, I do this and that. And my, my actual was re- response was like, I first I roll out of bed and I put my ninja suit on. But the fact of the matter is the number one thing that I do on a daily basis, and I try to do it at least once a, once a, once a day for at least an hour is I network. So I would actually say it's something like Zoom for me. So I try to keep in contact with people and develop relationships because at the end of the day, information gets passed around through the relationships that you have. So all these things that work on Amazon or new launch strategies and stuff like that, even in business, all work from the relationships that you develop. So I probably spend about an hour a day, whether it's doing a podcast like this or texting somebody that I haven't spoken to in a while just to catch up with them. But I think a lot of, what works in business is a hundred percent relationships. So the reason I've reached level of success that I have is because of the relationships I have in place. So while some people would be expecting it would be like an Amazon tactic, I hate to disappoint, but the fact of the matter is I get those tactics from the people that I have relationships with and I speak to here and there every day. Yeah. I, again, we talk about relationships so often and people often lose sight in this technological world that, you know, human relationships still matter. And actually, we can leverage the technology, whether Zoom or anything else, Skype, uh, et cetera, Facebook, to make those contacts. And I'll tell you, if you do find yourself facing a challenge, there's hardly anybody better than your network to help dig you out of whatever it is and to, you know, reflect back to you, you know, A, be grateful for what you have, and B, here's what I would do, you know, to solve the problem. And uh, relationships really amazing. So with that, uh, we're going to take a quick break and we will be right back. Empowering. The name says it all. Connecting e-commerce entrepreneurs with great people, ideas, systems, and the services needed to stay business dynamic and to grow. Empowery is a network, a cooperative venture of tools and resources to make you better at what you do, because we love what you do. We are you. Visit Empowery.com to learn more. You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast. Okay, we're back again. Awesomers.com podcast coming to you live again with Liz Herrera. And uh, boy, we've dug through a lot of good stuff so far. 
uh, but we're going to talk a little bit about the future. And uh, I always like to have um, the guests prognosticate a little bit and say, you know, what, what does the world look like in five years? What, what does the world of e-commerce look like or selling on Amazon, your own business, uh, maybe even you personally? Uh, do you have any vision of five years ahead that you care to share on those fronts? You know, I see Amazon, Amazon is getting slightly a little bit more difficult. So it is important to be in those right networks to know the right things to do. Um, I do see um, email, I'm sorry, um, internet, the um, Shopify drop shipping. Also, it's getting a little bit more tough with, with Facebook ads and things like that. But I do see an expansion on other platforms that is working really nicely right now. Namely, Walmart. I see Walmart making a big move to get some more presence. We've heard a lot about Google. Google's trying to make a move into here. And I wouldn't imagine it'd be far-fetched to think at some point Facebook will or somebody else that already has a big platform will make a big push. So I see a lot of expansion happening. But I still see Amazon as being still that central hub that's still going to work particularly if you do things slowly and steadily over time. A lot of people really want instant gratification. So they think that they, they jump on Amazon as a hope to make instant millions, which is what they're being sold nowadays. But the fact of the reality is, it's going to be something that is developed slow and steady over time. So while expansion could help you, particularly to other countries, if you still stay on Amazon USA, which obviously I would advise that, it's going to be a slow and steady build, and the reward is going to be there for people that are willing to do that, as opposed to wanting instant gratification. So uh, for me personally, that's kind of what I'm doing. I'm focusing a lot more on the current brands that I have as opposed to launching anything new in the meantime. And in the future, I'll still be expanding, but it's just putting that focus on building these slow, steady brands, knowing that it's going to take a tremendous period of time. And, and that's pretty much what my plan is for the next five years in the e-commerce space while still just getting better at paid ads. I think paid ads are still one of the most important things that you can learn as a business owner. And I don't see many people willing to do that. Um, Amazon PPC is going to be is pretty huge if it's not already pretty darn huge, but I see a lot of rules-based automation. We were talking about this before the call and that's going to become even more important. People that have that will dominate and obviously that's going to drive some costs up, but, if you're not staying into what's working technologically in, in terms of PPC and things like that, you're definitely losing a, a huge piece of the pie out. So I would strongly recommend as a business owner, if you haven't learned that aspect yourself, it's probably a pretty smart thing to either outsource to somebody who knows it, what they're doing or learn to do it yourself. I can't tell you, begin to tell you the possibilities and the rewards that you will gain if you actually learn how to do it yourself though. But a lot of people aren't willing to do that. Well, I'll be fair about it. Not everybody's capable of it to the, the level you are, to be quite honest. Um, and uh, so I do think that the knowledge that they should uh, procure vis-a-vis uh, -vis sponsored products or AdWords or any of these kind of platforms is really critical. As a leader, you need to understand how these platforms work. But you take for granted, perhaps, uh, your level of sophistication because not everybody can think in the, uh, the, the same way that you do. It is very high-level thinking. That doesn't mean that everybody can't take advantage of it. Like you said, you can hire it out. There's tools that can help you. And and I really, I, I do want to emphasize, so one of my axioms, I don't even remember which axiom number it is, uh, 15 or 16, but it's it basically says you don't have a real business until you can pour money in the top of the funnel and have profit come out of the bottom of the funnel. Um, anybody who thinks that the magic pixie dust of organic this, whether it's on Google or Amazon or any other platform, um, 
is going to last forever. They're just making a mistake. The platforms are in the business of monetization. It happened at Google, right? We used to be able to get absolute SEO dominance. And not that that has gone away entirely. I'm not trying to say that, but it was so easy to manipulate SEO in the old days and have, you know, I had some companies, we had the entire front page, the first 10 results, uh, not to mention the sponsored product results. We owned all that real estate and it was amazing. But then the animals, the menagerie of pain that uh, uh, Google created started coming in and Panda and Penguin and all these other things, uh, hummingbirds. I don't know. There's so many of them. They're just killing me. Uh, I used to enjoy the outdoors and animals in general, but now I'm, I just don't like them. But the, the point is that once, once those changes happened, the magic pixie dust of organic search to run an entire business kind of evaporated. And many businesses went out of uh, business as a result. Anybody on Amazon who's re relying on the A9 algorithm and the pixie dust of organic search, just know this. My prediction is all those will be paid spots. Google used to say they would never do paid spots, but more and more they're doing paid spots. There was just a, I think, I don't remember if it's Google or Amazon that just did a patent for basically a paid and organic result being combined. In other words, if you rank high on the organic side and you're paying money, that's going to get a natural lift. Um, and so it, it's a very intriguing process, but I couldn't agree more that, you know, you have to learn how to pay money to get business. That's what a true business model really looks like. And when right. you do it, man, that the leverage is huge, right? Isn't that where you, once you get the formula right, you want to pour money, more money in, right? Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, yeah, there's some people that, that won't want to do it. It's boring. Like I just happen to like it, but at least get informed to know enough about it where you're making an educated decision when you hire somebody. Because I see so many times, in fact, I was just at one of the masterminds I'm in. It's a $25,000 mastermind. And a guy there was talking about how he paid somebody to run their remarketing ads. And this is a big company. I'm talking about big company. Paid somebody to run their remarketing ads and he charged them far too much and he made them no money. And I'm like thinking, how could you make, how could he make you no money when your name is so big already? And he's like, yeah, he, I have no idea what he was doing. He was doing everything wrong. So that just happened from his inability. Like he hadn't, he didn't know exactly what it was, but he got all these promises. So he went and hired the guy. So at least be a little bit educated about what it is that you're hiring so that you can hire the right people. Cause you don't want to hire somebody that's uninformed or that doesn't know what the hell they're doing just because you're uninformed is what I actually meant to say. So that's, that's my advice and what I would recommend to people do in, in that situation. Yeah, boy, there's such a big difference between delegation and abdication, right? The, the delegation is, hey, I've vetted this resource. So I've asked them the right questions. I, we have these measurements in place that are visible. They're transparent. And they're regularly checked upon. Uh, maybe it's weekly or what have you. Uh, and then there's abdication, which is, I don't know how to do this or I don't like to do this. You go handle it and don't call me. I'll call you and just send me money. And, you know, you can just do the math on which one works best, right? It, it's, there's no doubt that if you abdicate things, which is most often where our, our comfort zone has ended. We're uncomfortable with accounting. We're uncomfortable with sponsored products or logistics or whatever that area is. And all of us have those. That's where we tend to kind of uh, abdicate uh, too quickly. And that's really where you have to double down on making sure you understand the parameters of the choices, making you understand the KPIs that are important to measure, and, and then setting yourself up and whatever management team you may have involved to measure and keep track of those things as you go. Boy, such wise words from you. Good, good on you. Okay, let's turn our sites over to, uh, how about, you know, 
do we do we find you online? Do you, I know you sell some brands online. Do you do any uh, other things online at this moment that you care to share? Um, you know, Steve, I, I kind of like in, in general, I'm kind of marketing, like I'm taking a, a step in marketing my personal brand. I, if anything I learned in the, in the actual poker lesson is diversify your income, which was a huge blow to me at that time. So I, I had a lot of people that told me on, on, in terms of my Amazon brands, why would you want to take some time off and not really work on those and work on your personal brand? And that is because of the fact that at the end of the day, diversity is the best way to actually be at. So while I do have, um, quite a few Amazon brands, I'm steadily working on those. Somebody's steadily working on those for me, but I'm not adding or expanding this year. I'm kind of taking that year to work on my personal brand. So um, a lot of the stuff that we've actually been doing is, has been things that are related in the internet marketing space is like building funnels for people. We build a lot of funnels. We do a lot of webinars, which I think is an area that not a lot of people have explored is, which is selling products on webinars, particularly supplements and skincare, because you can obviously bundle them. So we've been doing a lot of webinar building, a lot of uh, site and funnel creation. We just did a, a launch for Ty Lopez, which went really well, and Alex Mayer of MentorBox. So my company has largely been involved in kind of building a general overall agency that can help not only with Amazon needs, but as well as like just internet marketing type needs for businesses. So that's been going extremely well for us. So that's the primary focus and the thing that I've been working on for the past year or so. I love it. How do we find uh, or make contact with that uh, agency, Virginia? Uh, it's at ibuildyourbrand.com. Oh, look at that. That's pretty pretty clever. Ibuildyourbrand.com. <laughs> yeah, ibuildyourbrand.com is, is the name of the site. So as I said before, we, we focus on a lot of, uh, we, we actually, the, the other thing that I wanted to mention to you is you, you mentioned something really interesting a minute ago about being uncomfortable. Um, in fact, some of our biggest clients have been from getting put in an uncomfortable spot. I was at one of the masterminds that I speak to and we have something called a 10 minute talk that usually people prepare months and months in advance. And I had shared a, a, a bit with the whole group that so many of them were, which was just this, the way that we remarket, we remarket in a very different way. And I shared this tip with everybody and they were so taken aback that they asked me to do a 10 minute talk in two hours. And so I was put in a very uncomfortable situation, but there's no way I'm going to decline that type of opportunity, even though I could very well be embarrassed in a room full of people, which are, I'm telling you, the thought leaders of, of the world. Of, among them were like Jason Fladley and, and people like that. So, of course, I, I took the, un, the challenge, I took the being uncomfortable, and I presented to them the 10-minute talk that I came up with in, in the past two hours. And as a result, I got so much work from that particular talk, and I got hired uh, by several people and I got the chance to now speak at the end of the year event as a result of being uncomfortable. So for people that haven't embraced being uncomfortable, uncomfortable is usually your fear. It's talking to you and telling you like you can't do this or self-doubt. But if you put yourself in an uncomfortable situation often enough, there's going to be times where you come out of that a victor and to the victor come the spoils. So I highly encourage whatever it is that you've been putting off because of that uncomfortable feeling, you just get out there and just own it. And as I said before, you, you'd be surprised at your results because you will genuinely figure it out. Boy, again, <laughs> I love those uh, little bits of knowledge that are uh, uh, flying through here. It is the, the, you know, the comfort or the discomfort zone is really where the progress is made. And so I couldn't agree with you more that pushing through that. And often on the other side, you find 
not that much. It, you know, there, there really wasn't that bad. Uh, and and the, the upside of it uh, can be phenomenal. And so I definitely, uh, I love the fact, I, I hope the Osmers uh, who are listening at home are paying close attention to the idea that, you know, Liz has mentioned a couple times, you know, networking, relationships, masterminds. These are things that she's doing and investing in to be sure that she stays at the top of her game. And when you hang out with other people who are at the top of their game, it, it kind of forces you to get better. It's it's uh, the old saying of, you know, you're the the uh, average of the five people around you. Having the five people around you who are extraordinary awesomers, boy, that's that can't be uh, bad for the math. That's That's all good all the time. So kudos to you. Uh, let me ask you just any final words of wisdom. That that little uh, gold nugget that you dropped a minute ago, you know, I was pretty good. But any other final words of wisdom that you may have for the listeners at home who are wondering what's uh, what what they should do next? No, I think they're all in the right place. I mean, they're listening to you, which, as I said, anytime I feel like something's really bad, I, I go listen to one of your stories and I realize this guy really knows what he's doing if he blew that. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Times more money than I did. So they are definitely in the right place. They found the right guy to listen to. They found the right guy to talk to. I get a lot of knowledge bombs that I've heard you speak at. We're talking about ten thousand dollar events. So uh, the, the final thing is that I would say is that a good education in this business. A lot, well, a lot of people would look at it and say that it's not cheap. You know, there's a lot of offers that are over $10,000. But realistically, think of what you paid to go to college. I can tell you for one that I still have something every month that I got to pay called a student loan. And it's, it's not cheap when you tally it all up together. So the amount of money that you invest in your education to improve yourself right now is very minimal compared to how much you actually put to go to college. And now think about how much that college degree is worth to you. If you want a million dollar business, you're probably going to have to invest quite a bit of money in yourself, but it's all money well spent when you find the right person, a quality person that you can take it and learn from. So they're in the right place, Steve, because they're following you. So that's my last bit of advice is find the right place to be in and spend some money on yourself instead of buying yourself that purse or guys, uh, the bike, the exercise bike, just get out there and do some walking and spend some money instead of educating yourself and your future, especially if you want to succeed in this online e-commerce business. It's very easy. It's, it's very doable and actually quite easy if you follow the right person and just listen to what they're telling you to do and put yourself in those uncomfortable situations enough of the time. Yep. Well, I uh, appreciate the kind words and I, I really do support that core idea of investing in yourself. It there, I've, I can boil back so many times where it's like we spent beyond our comfort zone. We did things that you know, maybe we, you know, if we were being more conservative, we, we would, would not have done. Yet, sometimes those bets paid off. Other times they didn't, honestly. But we, as uh, I think you talked about the, the uh, poker numbers, you know, if you can get 45, 47% of those decisions to be uh, good, you're going to be a big player. And I always broke it down with this math. Um, in my organizations, I always encourage people to make as many decisions as fast as they can. Because the principle, the way I call Occam's razor, and not that I coined the phrase, but you know, the, the simplest answer is usually the right answer. And so it's just go as fast as you can. And we find that you know, five are going to be so-so decisions, not, not that great. And 10 are going to be good, relatively good decisions. But five are going to be phenomenal choices. And it's those five at the top of that curve that will pay off in a big way. And it's only by doing so many decisions so fast that you get though that quantity of good decisions to come out. So I love it. Thank you for uh, joining us, Liz. Uh, it's been really a great pleasure to have you today. 
Yeah, thank you very much, Steve. I, we finished right on time. My cat doesn't shut up right now, but thank you so much for having me. <laughs> I can't hear your cat, but yeah. I'm, I muted her. <laughs> oh, good. There you go. Uh, and uh, for awesomers out there listening, we will be right back. Hey, Amazon Marketplace professionals, congratulations on your success to date. Your creativity, strategic vision, problem solving, and discipline have allowed you to build your own e-commerce business. Wouldn't it be great if you had more time to focus on the things that truly drive the sales and growth of your company? Instead of getting lost in a dozen different services and countless spreadsheets, what if there was one system that connected to your Amazon account and automatically gave you the information that you needed to make great decisions and really impact your business? Parsimony ERP can do that. Parsimony is the business operating system for your marketplace business. With Parsimony, you get true double entry bookkeeping, easy financial statements, full customer service tools, and item by item profitability, along with project and task management, and more features are being added all the time. Learn more at parsimony.com. That's parsimony, P A R S I M O N Y.com. Parsimony.com. We've got that. I always enjoy my time with Liz. She is such an amazing uh, person and entrepreneur. And you know her stories from childhood onwards about how she kind of became who she is is so inspiring to me. And I hope it is for you as well. Uh, this has been uh, Awesomers.com podcast episode number 12. And again, to access all the show notes, go to Awesomers.com slash 12. And you can find out all the details. And this is definitely something that you want to play back from time to time because not only is Liz entertaining, she's also so informative. Well, we've done it again, everybody. We have another episode of the Awesomers podcast ready for the world. Thank you for joining us, and we hope that you've enjoyed our program today. Now's a good time to take a moment to subscribe, like, and share this podcast. Heck, you could even leave a, a review if you wanted. Awesomers around you will appreciate your help. It's only with your participation and sharing that we'll be able to achieve our goals. Our success is literally in your hands. Thank you again for joining us. We are at your service. Find out more about me, Steve Simonson, our guest, team, and all the other Awesomers involved at awesomers.com. Thank you again.